Hey everybody, welcome back to During Business Hours. I'm with me today. We got the head of Injured Gadgets. How you doing, Shay? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm, I'm Shay Kripalani, um, CEO of Injured Gadgets. We've been one of the biggest third-party parts vendors since 2010 or so. A, an amazing company. I'm glad to have you here today. No, thank you for having me. I, I'm looking forward to this. So, where, where are you from originally? Uh, I was born in India, came here when I was like a year and a half old, so been in Georgia my whole life for the most part. Um, grew up in a little city called Rudan. And then, yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been within like a 20, 30 mile radius, so I haven't really ventured outside of Georgia. Really? Not much? No. Nope. How about yourself? Me, um, Sacramento, California, and then I left, joined the military at 17, got out okay. at 21. Uh, mm-hmm. Bounced around a bit, came back. Uh, my, my whole story is on the internet, but uh, drugs, marriage, divorce, sobriety, business, uh, marriage, kids, life. You know. Yeah. Uh, How many whole, kids do you have? I have two. Yeah. How many for you? I have two as well. Yeah, uh, they're they're both babies: a three-year-old and a two-year-old. I got a two and a half-year-old and a six-year-old. Yeah. Okay. It is. The the two year old regression. Do you, you ever seen that where they sleep regress or sleep less? So I have heard of it, but I haven't experienced it yet. You're very lucky. Something yeah. like one out of four kids experience it. My son was unfortunate enough to he slept with us for the first six months of his life, and then mm-hmm. went from there to uh, his bed. We got in this rock. What was it? Uh, race car bed and he loved it for the first six seven months when he yeah. hit two in a month it was up every hour wanting in mommy and daddy's bed mm-hmm. so he's uh he's struggling right now but it's hilarious yeah so mine so they're both girls they're both 15 months apart um so we got them like a joint bed and with the bed they definitely sleep much better together than they did apart because uh, it used to be like the at the time one and a half year old would sleep like in her crib and in our room and then the two year old now three would sleep in her own bed but yeah ever since we put them in the bed together they've been sleeping a good eight to ten usually usually ten hours a night nice so, nice yeah my six year old was a nightmare trying to get into her own bed when we were younger and uh when she moved in there it was a lot easier to uh, get her own room, have a little more independence. So she transferred to that. And then when he was born, it was, oh, well, I want to sleep with him. I want to take care of him. And so she's definitely a, a mothering type, which is always fun. Yeah. No, I feel like, uh, I mean, they're, they're, girls are definitely different than us. I, I get the same feeling for my two girls. Like they both want to just be caring and loving and motherly, even though they're all they're just babies. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's awkward. It, my six year old's a princess, and I know my son is going to be a bit of a hellion. You know, it's, yeah. it's just the way that there's stark differences in boys and girls, and I didn't realize how easy it was to raise a girl versus a boy. It was uh, I was blinded on the first one. Yeah. Yeah. My son's a bit more of a terror. So yep. Where where did you have any uh, business? Any uh, training when you were younger? Any uh, any people you grew up with? Any mentors before college? No, not really, to be honest with you. But I've always owned my own businesses ever since I was 
literally like a little kid. I mean, I started selling bracelets that I would make, um, sell them in church to like other kids, other friends. And then as a, a teenager, I, uh, not even a teenager. So this was, this was middle school. So then I was like 11 or 12. I used to sell candy. Um, and then I would, I, I created my own like little supply network. So at the end of the day, I would sell candy to other kids for them to sell on the bus, like my leftover candy. So basically every day I would sell out of my candy. Um, I was making, as an 11 or 12 year old, I was making like a hundred bucks a day, probably um, just selling candy in school, like blow pops and whatever was super popular back then. And then after that, my sister, she made me a Bart Simpson website, uh, <laughs> like 13 or so. Cause I guess she learned some coding in school. So she's five years older than me. Uh, so she must've been, if I was 13, then either she was a senior in high school or her first year of college. And she showed me this Bart Simpson website and that just kind of sparked my interest for the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started making Dragon Ball Z websites and anime websites, went on to make probably the third or fourth most popular fan base website. So back then this was 20 plus years ago, obviously. Um, I had, I was getting probably 10,000 visits a day, had multiple advertisers on my website. So by the time I was 16 or 17, I was, I was probably making 10, 15,000 bucks a month off of just ad revenue. So I've always just kind of found a way to start my own business and make something out of it, I guess. That is, so this would have been what, early nineties, late, late, uh, late nineties. I was born in 86, so yeah, very late 90s, early 2000s. So I probably was on one of those uh, fan-based websites because I found Dragon Ball Z and a lot of the animes back in the early 2000s. You probably yeah. got ad revenue from me. Uh, I might. Yeah, no, I, I, I so my first uh, really big one was called AnimeInstinct.com, and then I made Anime Top Sites, which was like a top site listing. So back then, obviously, search engines weren't as popular, so we had top sites. Um, and then I made like a hosting service called animehost.com and I would host other people's websites. Oh yeah. So that I remember like hostings. A, yeah. Yeah. Before, for like, before rankings. God, Google yeah. got so complicated. I so did. What, what made you get into the repair space? What made you start injured gadgets? Yeah, no. So, um, after, so then I had another website, online advertising agency that did really, really well. Uh, it, it did so well that I, I didn't realize you had to work to make money. Because money was just rolling in as like an 18, 19 year old. Um, but I stopped working because I didn't need to. And it all went away within a year. And so after that, I went to go work at a, a bank. And I think over there is where you went back to have you had business training? I think that's where I got my business training because I was a personal banker. So I talked to so many business owners, some successful, some not so successful, obviously. So you kind of saw both based on their bank accounts. Uh, and you would kind of advise them what to do, but you'd also listen to them. And just listening to both the successful and non-successful, I kind of built a base on what you should and should not do when you own a business. Um, I, I also told myself, you know, I'm, ne- I'm never going to have a business again after my online advertising agency failed. I'm just done. I'm, I'm going to work for the bank. I'm going to move up. I'm going to get my college degree and I'll just... I'll just hopefully be an executive at the bank one day. That was kind of my goal. But I started finding stuff online again to sell. Um, I used to go to this website called Slick Deals. So I'd find deals on there um, and then I would flip them. So I'd flip them on eBay 
Amazon, whatever it was. And within probably three or four months of me doing that, I had more than surpassed like my bank income. Um, and I was like, you know what? I should probably do this full time. And so I quit the bank after about three years of working there. So I was like 21 or so when I quit. And I started flipping stuff from, from slick deals to eBay. And then I was like, you know what? I got to find a niche product. Um, I can't keep on trying to find goods and not, not be certain of what my next product is going to be. So I found, strangely enough, iPhone 3G digitizers. Mm -hmm. uh, so this was probably late, early 2000. 2007 to 2010, yeah, around there, because uh, it was it was like iPod Touch first, second gen digitizers, iPhone 3G and 3GS digitizers, and I was flipping those up on eBay, um, and then I would have customers hit me up, and they would say like I I never repeat customers buying these same digitizers, and they would say like you know what can we come to your shop? Uh, we see you're in Georgia, can we come to your shop and pick up parts? And I was like, I'm shipping this from my house, but yeah, I mean you're more than welcome to come to my house and pick it up. Um, and so then I would start talking to these, these, these repair shop owners or back then it was really, it wasn't cell phone repair shops. It was computer repair shops who yeah. were doing cell phones. Um, I think back then you break, I think had like eight locations and they were the biggest. Uh, so I, I spoke to the computer repair shops. I'm like, yeah, I mean like what, what else do you do? And they're like, yeah, we, we repair HTC phones like the HD two and the inspire. You and I was like, really? Say. Yeah. People, people repair that stuff. And they're like, yeah, no, it's huge business. And so then I started getting to HTC parts and Blackberry parts. I think like the, the Torch 9800. Um, I can't remember all their names. Like these are so old, but I, I remember most of them were digitizer only. Um, and so I, I mean, sometimes I buy the LCD, but nothing was like like it is today in assembly. And it's got to be difficult, though. Like if, if you're running the same or similar action that you're doing now back then, the world was so different. You could... I remember friends who were shipping across from China and the nightmare was, oh, you could lose everything in an instant. There was no paper trail, you know, yeah. and it was a lot more relaxed 10 years ago. So, oh yeah, no, I would pay everything through Western Union. There was not really any security. You'd find your vendors on Alibaba. Oh, yeah. uh, so no, it, it was definitely a risk. Uh, the funny thing is I still work with my very first vendor and I purposely work with him. Like I'll give him like a $10,000 order per month mm -hmm. just because of that, that I guess that loyalty and that, that nostalgic feeling. Um, so he brings it up. He's like, yeah, I used to order X amount from me and now you're ordering so little. I'm like, I'm really just ordering from you just because you're my first vendor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's interesting how that works. I, I thankfully I never got scammed. Uh, I never got screwed. Um, even though I would send, random back then i mean it was a lot to me back then it still was a lot but like three four five thousand dollar wires and you'd have no idea who the vendor was you oh, yeah. didn't do any research on them but yeah i was thankful enough to never have gotten scammed um through all of that few. I, I know uh, quite a few suppliers and when they're starting out it was send five thousand lose five thousand build five thousand mm -hmm. lose five thousand so that's that's good you're very lucky how big yeah, is injured gadgets now now we uh we have about 100 employees through usa and china Damn. uh and we are I'm not going to say exact figures but um i mean we've definitely done well over nine figures through the years that's awesome uh, so yeah i mean hopefully we'll we'll may, maybe hit 10 figures eventually one day i'm sure we will 
but yeah, no, we've done hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue um, nice. since inception in 20. I don't know when it was exactly started, but I think in 2012 was when we actually made injured gadgets. Because uh, it took two or three years of me working out of my house before we actually opened the office. Yeah. I did. I say similar things like 2014 was the start of my first repair store. It wasn't a legal business or functional business until 2015, end of 2015. So uh, when everyone asked the dates and times, when did you make it? Because there's always in a, a business that pivotal moment where you go from small time to big time. Do you remember the moment that you made that switch? You know, I, I still don't consider it big time. I would consider it big time when I have like 500 employees or something. Um, and then I'm sure if we ever get to that level, I probably still wouldn't consider it big time. But to answer your question in terms of like, when did I feel like it went from like a small little business to like a legitimate company? I guess that would be when we opened up our office in Shenzhen, because then we weren't just like this local company with a, a small warehouse. We had a footprint internationally, like a legitimate footprint internationally. Um, so I think that all kind of happened around the same time. So we, we moved into our current warehouse, which is 20,000 square feet, probably four years ago. And within six months of that or a year of that, we opened up our Shenzhen facility. So I would say around then is when I was like, okay, this is, this is legit. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a real business. We help we help people out, I guess, in terms of like our employees, like we actually employ legitimate staff who aren't just like entry level workers. Like we have people who have real jobs and who are engineers and controllers and accountants and business development. So it's not just something that is a mom and pop anymore at this yeah. point. Yeah, I'm, I'm very I know the feeling everyone always complains about not having people long term, but you got to mm -hmm. have the ability or build the business enough to give somebody a real retirement idea. Like they'll stay there for a long time because they're making enough, doing enough and feel satiated enough. Yeah. With, with Shenzhen, did you get, you guys were there 2020. So how, what was that like? What was the business like in Shenzhen during COVID? Yeah. So actually I flew out to Shenzhen in November of 2019 before it all went down really. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the funny thing is, so like in March or February of 2020, because obviously China was hit first, they were like, hey, can you get us mask? And uh, I was like, sure. I mean, I didn't really understand what was happening. But we started stockpiling masks in February when they were still in the U.S. 10, 15 cents each yeah. because the pandemic didn't hit the U.S. Uh, but we obviously sent most of the masks to China. But as soon as it happened over here, we had a good stockpile of masks and obviously we were able to we were able to kind of supplement some of our lost Chinese income with the mask and the PPP that we had on hand in the US. Um, but no, I mean, it was definitely very hard in March and April. Uh, I think April was an extremely slow month for us. And then May wasn't that great either. Um, but we just, we, we, we never want to stop, I guess, trying to think outside the box. So we did start importing a lot of PPP from China. Um, I remember sorry. you guys being the first that had everything on the site. Yeah, no, we, we, we still have got quite a bit of it. We did donate quite a bit of it too, because obviously it just stopped kind of moving. Um, but yeah, no, we brought in a bunch of sea shipments via cargo, um, like hand sanitizers and like little 
non-touch wands and obviously the mask and children's mask and actual KN95 and the regular three flights. And that was, it was interesting. Uh, I guess, I mean, our, our industry was very fortunate in the sense that people still needed their phones. Um, and obviously we never got shut down because we were considered essential, which was kind of nice. So, I mean, 2020 was still, it ended up being a great year for us overall. Surprisingly uh, for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Well, I think honestly, I, I, I still attribute it to a lot of the people getting their, their payroll protection program, uh, their, their, those loans that they didn't have to pay back. Oh, I didn't get uh, any of that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we're getting, I mean, thankfully it, it kept a lot of businesses afloat too, because they were able to pay for their employees payroll. But that type of stimulus coming into the economy, plus just people getting a normal stimulus really boosted our economy. I don't know if it was in a good way or not, uh, but no, I think our industry definitely saw a massive increase 2020, 2021, 2021 was a record year. Uh, I know, I mean, it wasn't even close. Like we, 2021 was almost 50% to a hundred percent bigger than 2020. Like it was just, it was crazy. I think a lot of people that, that stayed on the right path after 2020 bounced mm -hmm. back in a way that was exponential, which was yeah. awkward to a lot of people. Cause I know we did similar where it was almost an extra 50%, I think it was like 45% on top, but we had the buybacks that really squared everything off and we kind of transferred to that. Um, yeah. Cause personally I'm trying not to be the, the hitch of my business doing all the soldering and, and hiring more people. It's a nightmare, especially in California cause you got to pay people $25 an hour to do any type of specific job. Sure. Um, what's the, the minimum wage over there in Georgia? You know, I, I think right now, I think the minimum wage you can pay people is around 12 or 13. Uh, obviously, minimum wage is 725, but you're not going to find anybody for 725. Yeah. So I think that the lowest we pay right now is around 12 bucks an hour, if I'm not mistaken. It might be a little bit more, but I mean, we're fortunate enough to give a few more benefits. Like we give, we give, excuse me, time off and we do 401k matching through the first 5%, I believe. And we have health benefits and medical and free life insurance. So, I mean, we, we definitely try to have big company perks, even though I wouldn't consider us a large company yet. Did, when, when you started getting this busy with your company, did you find it hard now that you have two children to find a work-life balance after everything? It's very difficult. I mean, oh, yeah. I really am unable to spend as much time at the office as I used to. Um, even when I was just newly married, like I was still able to spend, if I wanted to, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day at the office, because I would still then have four hours at home with my wife where it was just us. Um, whereas now it's, if I get home at 9 p.m. or 8.30 p.m. or whatever it is, I'm only going to be able to spend an hour with the kids. And I'll at least have to spend the entire hour or two hours or whatever it is with them uh, because they've missed me and yeah. they're, they're very attached especially the three-year-old. My three-year-old is a huge daddy's girl. The two-year-old is more of a mama's girl. Um, but I feel bad not being with them. So I definitely try and spend as much time as possible with them. And it does obviously sacrifice your your business a little bit, but it's a good balance. I was listening to something that that Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal said, um, and and it, it was because Kobe, Kobe Bryant had said, um, if Shaq had my work ethic, then he would be the greatest player in the world. And Shaq said that he was happy being the Shaq that he is 
because of that work-life balance. Like he had four kids when Kobe entered the league and he had to go be daddy when he got home and he had to do business too. So he was able to be a great basketball player, a great father, a great husband and a great business owner. And that's what makes him who he is today. Like maybe if Shaq only played basketball, then we would only know him as a great basketball player. But today we know Shaq is an incredible father of so many kids, an incredible man, and an incredible business person worth hundreds of millions of dollars. It's insane. So, but yeah, I, I can't believe the way he balanced his life out from what watching him when he was in the Lakers battling while well, we were here, we had the Kings, so it was always the rivalry. Peja yeah. and uh, Stojakovic and uh, mm-hmm. Chris Webber versus Kobe and, <laughs> and Shaq. And I was like, man, we hate them, but they're so good. So yeah, hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how did you end up dealing? I, I know you got sick last year. How did mm-hmm. that end up going? How's it going currently? Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've definitely dealt with my share of health issues in the last seven or eight years. Um, back in 2014, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, which took me out of the office for probably six months or so. I mean, like, obviously, I was I visit the office, but I wasn't there full time by any means because it was, yeah, yeah with, with chemo, radiation, recovery, it was a solid, maybe even more than six months, maybe like nine months or so. But since then, the doctors believe like that the radiation, the chemo caused like like genetic mutations, um, and we never knew what those genetic mutations were because it was like a slow process. Like my lungs had been starting to fail, my my skin had been starting to like deteriorate which might give me like an older appearance than i really am i'm only 36 but most damn. people think like, no yeah. see i thought you were easily like just above 50 and like mm-hmm. i was talking to somebody much older and going through things and then i didn't know that damn I'm you know so most cool. people think like uh, at least mid 40s or so but no um it definitely started like deteriorating my skin and aging me a little bit too but the um i i it took five years six years for the doctors to even figure out what was happening to me after like the the hodgkin's lymphoma so uh last year i got a stem cell transplant to uh, i guess reboot my system and to get rid of my disease which was called it's called cutis laxa um but yeah no i i since then i've been solid my my lungs while they're pretty bad are stable like they it destroyed my lungs from 100 percent down to like 33 34 percent so I have like the lungs of an 80 year old, but I'm able, I'm able to do normal day to day stuff just fine. I uh, definitely can't go run or anything like that or even jog, but I can do normal day to day stuff and I don't have to like walk around on oxygen and hopefully they're stable for the rest of my life from here on out. And hopefully my skin stabilizes and doesn't get any worse. But hey, yeah, so I you mean, don't look bad. It's a, don't don't get me wrong. You definitely got the silver fox thing coming in. So it's like you look good for your age. Damn good. Yeah. Most people would be envious. I, I, I get one gray beard and it's just like, it's long. Um, but I'd love to have some of the silver fox going on. Yeah, the, just uh, right, in, right in this area for the most part, maybe a little bit of the beard, but the hair is staying black for now. Since, since all that stuff, the treatment, I've been pretty solid overall. Um, I mean, obviously I go to the hospital or go to my Emory every, every month or so just for follow-ups to make sure all the blood work is good and nothing has come back, but it's going, it's going pretty good. Is all your family currently living in Georgia or do you still have family back in India? And in- yeah, I mean, well, all my, all my immediate family obviously lives close by my sister, who's my partner. She lives 
15 minutes away from me. My parents live 20 minutes away from me. And my in-laws live in Tennessee. So they're all pretty close by, which is great. Nice, nice. Um, you doing anything with uh, right to repair and the behind the scenes? Um, you know, I mean, we're always trying to like lobby with them if needed. So if they ever ask us to like hit up a, like an Atlanta event, then we'll we'll try and send somebody or myself. Um, I definitely work with where I talk to Kyle Weens at I Fix It and Scott Head over there, and um, I've spoken to Gay at at Right to Repair a few times, and I mean, we're we're definitely all for it. I think there's a fine fine line between asking the OEMs for too much. For instance, I mean, they're dropping billions of dollars on research and development and protecting their IP and rightfully so, but at the same time, it's also fair for them to say, okay, you know what? We probably shouldn't block certain things just because you're using an aftermarket part. Um, so I think I think there's a, there's a happy median that we have to all come to um and right to repair might ask for too much and then the oems might say you know what we don't want to give you much at all but i think we're, we're we're bridging that gap over the past few years thankful to i think ctia as well who was initially hated by the right to repair crowd but i think they've been helping push it forward as well because they know that there's a happy medium there um and they're eventually, helping us yeah yeah <laughs> everyone's going to get on the same page eventually i don't think there's going to be it's got to be a half half full half empty situation where you're going to get some things you're not going to get everything and like mm -hmm. you guys sell a what is it an fx5 screen with a back panel for an iphone 8 and that's mm -hmm. convenient takes 10 minutes to put on apple could provide that that entire assembly pre-serialized nobody has to deal with ip information it would take an average consumer 15 minutes to put on but mm -hmm. They just don't want anyone to have their hands in it. They want to be scot-free. Um, you know, I, I don't understand why they're afraid to make so much money because they only have what two hundred and seventy stores. Yeah, it's not significant, but you know, I don't, I don't know if you saw this, but they did announce like the the self self repair, um, which is provided by like a third party partner. Yeah, we've uh, tried it. Yeah, so I mean, that's out there. Obviously, it's still very expensive. Uh, I don't know if it makes sense for a DIY person to do it at the moment, but it's an option, which is nice. They provide for an, a nominal fee. They give you equipment that nobody should have to use, especially those heating platforms. You've probably got them just to see them. The heating platforms, the removal platforms, the, the screen holder platforms, which are awkward. Um, yeah. I think they're trying to make it as difficult for the average consumer to use so that they don't want it or see that it's a negative effect on them. And they're like, oh no, I, I won't do that again. Even though you save $20 from some of the aftermarket screens, it would be better just to provide assemblies to consumers in store, packaged up, they'd make an extra billion dollars a quarter. Mm -hmm. Especially with 20,000 stores that are doing electronic repair, we'd go in and we'd buy them all up. Here you go, we'd add $20 in labor to it. It'd be an easy, um, addition to the stores. No, it could be. But then again, I mean, uh, there's always that happy medium. So, I mean, it may not be in Apple's best interest for a repair to be out there. Um, I mean, maybe it is, I don't, I'm not going to speak for them, but I, I'm assuming they probably make more money off of a brand new device being sold and a new Apple care warranty being sold over somebody getting a $50 or a hundred dollar part and repairing their device. So, mm -hmm. As a corporation, I can understand their standpoint as well. 
at the end of the day, I mean, I am a strong proponent of capitalism and I cannot hate them for what they do because I'm not going to say that I would do anything much different if I was in their shoes. Amen. I, I strongly agree with you there. A lot of people give me uh, hate for looking through the other lens. I'm like, no, they got to make money. I understand it. Um, the other question, is there... Hold on, we're getting a, a tag, of course. From, I'll get 10 more minutes. Yeah, I know. I always hate that it pops up right in front of people's heads. Um, is there anything that you're doing exciting behind the scenes anything you're excited about with i know scott's got the uh protection pro with um the vinyls is there anything up and coming anything you want to share to the world so this week we're going to be launching grip flex which i kind of we we tease on the website a little bit there's a there's a little video out there uh so one of the funny things that somebody i had sent the video to um so in the video like you'll see the tempered glass like if it's a piece of paper, so if this was a, a tempered glass, most tempered glass can fold to like this angle or something like, mm-hmm. like that. But in the video, you see us doing like this little curve right here and bending it all the way. And the person asked me, they're like, you're making it seem like this tempered glass does that. And I was like, it does. Um, so it's going to be something that people have never seen before. Uh, honestly, I had never seen it before either until we were able to find this type of material. So I'm really excited about it. It's extremely thin. It's just 140 microns thick. It's the thinnest tempered glass wow. in the market. Better than all the $50, $60 premium brands that are out there. Um, it's uh, you. It almost feels like a film. So when you touch your your phone right now, like if you had a film on there, you're, you're, there's like no edge. And you kind of just feel it. Um, whereas with traditional tempered glass, if you feel the edge of your phone, you feel that lip of the tempered glass. But this is so thin that you almost don't even realize there's a tempered glass on there. And the flexibility and the bend of this is just, so, people don't even realize it's glass. It feels like a film. See, we all use Protection Pro here. Everything's been Protection Pro. As soon as I saw somebody hitting it with a, a ball peen hammer on TikTok, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's got to be strong enough. Uh, this phone has been through one screen replacement or not screen replacement, but uh, temp- replacement protection pro, excuse me, because uh, I cut it with a knife. My two-year-old loves to throw this, so he'll just yeah. chuck it. And mm-hmm. uh, I cannot believe from the event last year in August to now, it has survived. And that's yeah. protection pro for you. A tempered screen mm-hmm. or casing would not have worked so well. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I have protection pro on my phone and on my watch, so it's on both of these right now. Um, no, it's definitely a phenomenal product, but you still have that 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 legion of people that love tempered glass, and there's the consumers who love tempered glass. So it's an option for them. So we're gonna be we're gonna be launching that this upcoming week, and then we've got some cool stuff with batteries that revolutionize the industry. I think too. Um, I can't say too much because I want to make I sure that we. Yeah. But it's it's something that has not existed before and just makes it makes battery swaps very, very easy and quick and makes them OEM like. Oh, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited to try it. You guys have been our number one for quite a while now. Um, we saw the news yesterday. There was what was it? Mobile Centrics bought MD. A lot of people yeah. are saying they're buying them for the OEM connection. What do you think they're buying them for? 
Yeah, no, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie and say that I didn't reach out to mobile defenders uh, a few months ago, and I kind of approached them with the exact same thing. But I think I think this was already in works um, because I was told a different story, and I get they were probably under NDAs and things like that. Already in negotiations, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I kind of saw the beginning of the end for mobile defenders in the last like year or two. I think they have been slowly losing market share. Um, I know that their order counts have been dwindling. Like I, 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 I would track it, and they definitely had seen. Mind you, I don't know if this is fact or not. So this is just based on my perception of what I saw. They may not have been in the beginning of that, and they may have been crushing it. My perception is that I saw a drop off in order counts. Um, and I had had some franchise owners tell me that they don't order from mobile defenders anymore and they had had issues with them. And so I do believe that they had some great OEM relationships out there. Um, I don't know exactly how they worked, but in, in the sense of potentially getting OEM relationships, I think it was a good move. Um, was their client base worth it? Probably not. Um, but then again, I don't know the deals. I don't know what, what happened if it was like an acquisition or if it was a, a dollar value paid. So I can't say if it was a, a good deal or not. Um, but if if they if they did, in fact, get some OEM or they have the potential to get OEM deals, then it could be great. But I think the good news is with a lot of the OEMs is they would not put their eggs all in one basket. So if LG, well, we already are LG authorized and we sell quite a few OEM Moto and Google parts through other vendors, but like if Samsung and Apple decided to use a third party distributor, I don't think they would just stick with one. I think they would stick with a few. Exactly. Uh, just like they do overseas. Like, so if you go to the Europe, there's multiple vendors who sell service packs and I think that would be the same in the U.S. if Samsung and Apple decided to do that and release it publicly. It'd be a long road. I think they'd have to do that application for, uh, what was it? What do they call the the Apple certified? Um, AASP, the Apple Authorized Service yeah. Providers? Surf, yeah, the service provider. Uh, I think yeah. they'd have to have applications again, have everyone sign NDAs again. You know, go through a, a rigorous process because they're you know supposedly an eco-friendly company by 2035. Um, mm-hmm. So getting people to recycle their phones is going to be intense. Definitely, um, I, I I I agree. I think uh, there would be a lot of requirements in place before they they authorized any third-party vendors. It's an uphill battle, but they'll probably get there if they don't give in to right to repair you know they'll get there eventually all right everybody if you like this hit the comment hit the subscribe hit the share and we'll see you next time